All right, welcome back for more. As Rat would say, a song co-written by my next guest. After this guest, the great Stephen Piercy, who is the only sponsor of this show, as he has given me three sets of Mike Knuckles to look tough. But today is not about Stephen Piercy. Today is about one. He's what they call in the business a real comer. He's one of the rising stars of not just the comedy store, but the stand-up world overall, now touring the world with Joe Rogan. But he's going to be having someone open up for him in the very near future. Put your grubby little hands together for the golden pony. You can buy his T-shirts online. Mr. Tony Hinchcliffe. Yeah, what's up, Big Earl? I'm glad to be here. I want to get inappropriate with you. Dude, you are uh, just taking the comedy world by storm. <laughs> I remember when you were just a young buck in the back of the room with your afro. That's right. And now you're like... Now I have a shorter haircut and I'm actually doing stuff. It's pretty exciting. It's I, fun. I mean, I want to get the real Tony Hinchcliffe out there. You have this yeah. persona... This almost Rick Rude, <laughs> you know, Rick Martell. I do love being the bad guy. I don't mind it. I, uh, I really enjoy uh, just being, being the guy that some people are afraid to be around. You know what I mean? Like there's a scene in the movie A Bronx Tale where the mob boss goes, it's better to be feared than to be loved. He teaches the little kid that. <laughs> Yeah, but you're like a you're like a heel that everyone loves. Like, yeah, you know, you annoy people, but they love you. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's a fine line to walk, and sometimes, every once and once every few years with everybody, I I I, I go a little bit too far and step on a toe, and <laughs> I have to take a step back. That's your whole shtick, though. I love it, though. It's true. I own it, man. It's true. For a while, I was afraid to own up to it. You know, I didn't want to be considered like a guy that people don't like and this and that around the clubs. But, you know, after a while, I'm just like, screw it. I can own this and be a good bad guy. And I really do draw it from a lot of uh, WWE like bad guy stuff. I've always been a huge pro wrestling fan. And I think there's not enough of that in stand up. I know you're totally in that same realm of being a wrestling fan who you could tell is a wrestling fan when he's on stage. I'm sort of the same way. I like to do like a little Randy Orton hands up, give me the applause I deserve when I first get on stage. And then I just follow it up with usually uh, edgy uh, walk the line material. Now, when you open up for Rogan, his fan base is, uh, you know, they like the UFC and I'm assuming, uh, most, if not all, uh, have some yearnings of pro wrestling uh, in their blood. Uh, how does that go over with that crowd? Oh, my God. It's the best. I mean, it really connects hard with them. They're really great comedy fans, and uh, they go crazy. They, you know, like... Uh, the golden pony they get that they love it they'll start yelling it like last weekend i did a show with brian callen and me before joe rogan and brian callen went up first and he brought me up and uh and um i told him he goes what do you want me to say before you bring him up and i go you could just say i write for the comedy central roast and uh that i have the podcast kill tony and he goes all right that's my time everybody you know crowd goes crazy it's like a four thousand seat theater in vancouver and 
Canada already has crazy enough fans on top of Rogan fans. So it's already like extreme. And Callan goes, well, this next guy, he writes for the Comedy Central Roast and he has a podcast. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called, uh, and he forgets. Uh. <laughs> and the whole crowd just starts screaming in this chant of kill Tony, kill Tony, kill Tony. Oh, wow. And it was one of the highlights of my uh, career without a doubt. And on top of that, it's totally right in that pro wrestling realm that I think they get. And, you know, it all started sort of by accident. Like I just got I got the nickname, the Golden Pony. I really didn't even like it in the beginning because it was stupid. It was about uh, a bunch of guys. Comedians would get together and play risk in the main room, green room during the day. And I hated that game. So I'd never play with them. But I just come in and bust their balls while they were playing. And uh, there's a piece called the Golden Pony that just like isn't even anybody's piece. And I would always say, who's the golden pony? And Benji would go, you're the golden pony, Tony. And it just stuck. Now, what is the difference between Rogan crowds and Jeff Ross crowds? Who you used to open with? Um, Rogan crowds are a lot more, um, uh, they're actually, surprisingly enough they're a little bit calmer than jeff ross oh really yeah it's actually the opposite of how you would think it would be like those ufc guys like they have the you know there's a stigma that rogan has this wild ufc following and sure you'll see a few ufc t-shirts and stuff when you're out there but those guys sort of have an outlet you know what i mean like they do work out and they do hit a punching bag and stuff like that now like where as for example and also you know rogan also has this huge reputation for which is true for being like the enforcer of comedy you know when he when he got men see it a fess up to his sins oh yeah um you know he got a very authentic awesome comedy crowd that loves comedy more than anyone a lot of people you know jumped on that whereas with jeff it's it can be crazy because people that love roasting now that's when you're mixing comedy and right. sort of uh fighting in a way and so they're a little bit more wild like like you could have a few real hot fires going in a big audience of jeff ross fans you can have some crazy blonde chicks that have never been to a comedy show before you know like i had a lot of wild hecklers when on the road with jeff whereas um with rogan it's very 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 well behaved because also his huge podcast that he does you know that gets millions of views he's very philosophical and you know about learning and stuff so it's actually a really shockingly brilliant smart crowd that rogan has yeah he's into like the martians and the aliens and, <laughs> you know that's a little too deep for me but. <laughs> well i don't think he believes in any of that but he loves questioning stuff and talking about it and uh it is pretty wild i mean i get into some deep talks with him he's got an amazing brain he's also another thing about rogan that cracks me up is he's the nicest guy that i've ever met in all of comedy and i'm pretty sure he's not always been that way i'm pretty sure you have to grow into that you know and it takes success and validation and a lot to get there but ever since i met him in you know 2009 2010 he's been uh, always the nicest he's probably the toughest guy in comedy oh without a doubt i mean he's like a legit i think he's like a second degree black belt he is ripped 
the other day, that same show in Vancouver with him and Callan, uh, there was a UFC guy in the crowd because the UFC was the next night. Right. So one of the fighters that was fighting the next day for a, in a big, big fight was there to support uh, Brian and Joe because he knows them. And so Callan went up first and he had this Matt Schaub t-shirt that he wore on stage in support of Matt. Oh, right, right. And so in between, after Brian set, him and Joe switched shirts and there was a moment where they were both shirtless in the green room, switching shirts. And I mean, Rogan looks like it's a big dude. Oh my God. He's just wide and he's ripped and he's cut and his body's incredible. I, I, the, that next morning I was in the gym for the first time <laughs> in like a year, just pumping iron. I almost threw up. I worked out so hard. And I, when I got home, I bought a pair of dumbbells and I've been working out lifting every day since because it really inspired me because I just turned 30 last week or a couple weeks ago. And, uh, I'm realizing that I don't want to look like a little biatch my whole life, you know? So, no, but you got a good body. You got a lean, like, a like a welterweight body, That's no true. fat and you're pretty ripped. I mean, yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm, but I'm going for it now. Now, now I'm trying to I'm trying to catch up to you, big girl. You're the you're the real protein package of the comedy store. So, well, I'm like uh, Rogan with absolutely uh, no fighting ability. <laughs> I'm just smoke and mirrors. Like, <laughs> I can't fight at all. You're so. like the pro wrestling version of Rogan. Yeah, I'm like uh, Rick Rude. You're I'm like Hulk Rogan, brother, <laughs> brother. And now we're speaking of wrestling and roasting. We have a. Uh, I don't know if the date has been set yet, but I think it's in a few weeks at the Comedy Store, a return of the Iron Sheik. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. We had so much fun roasting the Iron Sheik. There's an amazing video out on YouTube uh, <laughs> called Tony Hinchcliffe Roasting the Iron Sheik, and it's me and you. You're in the background. It's an amazing, amazing video because of what happened during this set. Like This video could have made my career, but uh, Luke zoomed in a little bit too hard, and it's just me and you, and you're playing a character that doesn't find anything funny, so I'm killing on this set you really were <laughs> and you're just in the background with a plain look on your face so if you read the comments it's like what's up with that ultimate warrior having a bad time warrior doesn't laugh <laughs> and plus i started getting the paint in my eye oh uh because jordan lee had literally put the paint like <laughs> on my fucking eyeball so and then i started i got in trouble because i started rubbing the paint on the uh fucking curtain and you know only the comedy store would like get mad at that while you know hundreds of comics have dumped loads on the carpet <laughs> imagine how hard it must have been for the ultimate warrior who actually had to wrestle with that face paint on well it killed him eventually <laughs> i mean that was uh i cried oh that was crazy that was i mean i had just gotten the wwe network and i watched that uh, Hall of Fame speech and I watched that raw clip and the next day when he passed away I mean that is some crazy stuff he had to have known that something was wrong he had to just have been holding on long enough to get all that stuff out the things he talked about he was basically giving a, a verbal will like he was saying, yeah fans live on without me once I'm gone my spirit will live on and then he had a heart attack like it's where does people say pro wrestling's fake I mean make that happen i mean i really think he was trying to die in the ring he, his timing was always a little off <laughs> but i mean he, he was a pretty stiff wrestler yeah but the best part was uh like a week later and you should really watch this i mean i know you're not the biggest fan of his 
I mean, they oh, did uh, like a four-hour tribute to him. Yeah. And the third hour was the Million Dollar Man, um, Sergeant Slaughter, and like uh, I think two other guys. And all four guys clearly didn't like the Warrior, but they right. were being forced to say nice things about him. And uh, it's really funny to see them try and act like they liked him. Well, I remember Ted DiBiase was in the hate video of the Warrior, so... Yeah, that's quite the flip to have him uh, saying things. And they did have a great match, I think, in Japan. And uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, but my favorite warrior video is the shoot video he did on Hogan. Oh, it's the best for an hour. I listen to it at least once a week. It's the best because it's so fucking funny. You're a real piece of shit, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, I mean, negativity and Hulkamania go together like peanut butter and jelly, brother. <laughs> and he looks directly straight at camera. Yeah, it's amazing. So you know, it's it's sad how many of these guys die so young. Oh, oh it's crazy. But I mean, I, but I sort of, I you know, being in stand up these last few years, I really start to understand it. It's, uh, you know, I know that I sort of have the same thing where you have a fun set and it's, uh, it, you just sort of want to keep that momentum up. I know you don't partake in uh, drinking or smoking pot, but I do. And I'll tell you, um, nothing is more fun. People think that people that don't know might think that you do it after a bad set. Well, that's really not the case. Like a bad set you can handle afterwards. It's a great set when things are going amazing oh, that sure. you're trying to chase that dragon afterwards. You're like, Oh, I was having so much fun on stage. So I can't even imagine what it's like being in a wrestling ring with tens of thousands of people screaming and hollering. And you know, you just put on an amazing match. So like those guys on top of that, the crazy road schedule, I can't even imagine. I just watched an interview with John Cena where he said that he, he's only home one or two days a month. And look out, they still have to work out. Oh, like look at, you know, when we're on the road, uh, you, you know, imagine the travel and all, and you still got to work out for three hours. It's crazy. And juice up to the gills. Oh man. Well, without the juice, I don't even know if it's possible. I mean, when I'm on the road, that's when I catch up on like Maury Povich and stuff like that. I mean, it's the opposite of working out. Oh yeah. I mean, I sleep, I jack off yeah. and uh, of course there's the phone ringing, but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, this podcast is, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's a uh, work in progress and, Long time listener, first time caller. I yeah. believe we have. We're uh, taking calls. <laughs> so uh, sorry about that. It, you know, one time Don Fry was here and, and he took a phone call. So oh wow, I had to stretch it out. But <laughs> now your home base is the comedy store, right? Yeah. And what do you like best about the store more than uh, the other clubs in the city? Oh, I like so many things more. Um, like, uh, for example, it's just a great place to hang out. There's a bunch of comedians there that, you know, you can relate to and you can talk to and you can riff with. Because being a comedian, the onstage is, you know, the part-time job of it. But living it and, you know, being a goofball all the time and finding other goofballs. I mean, me and you, for example, really connect on this because not only are we both goofy all the time but we really ramp up in my opinion as the night goes on i mean you and i are known as two of the back of the room assassins you know <laughs> late night when, when when it gets after midnight closer to one definitely closer to two that's when we're 
setting up camp in the back, getting ready to fire off bullets. I mean, that's when our wheels really start turning. Well, there's a lot, so much talent in the room late night. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe not so much, but there's some talent in the room. Uh-huh. Uh, and then usually Don Barris is on stage right. and uh, there's just a tremendous energy and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's hard to explain to people who've never been there. You've got homeless black guys sleeping in the back, Yeah. you know, guys smoking pot as the show's going on and, you know, just mayhem. Yeah. And, there's a lot to make jokes of. It's usually when, uh, the young guys get their best hazings. Um, what was your, uh, like first hazing at the store? Cause you started with, let's get to like, yeah. you come from Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Did you think New York or L.A. or were you always L.A.? I was thinking about it, but it it was pretty one-sided. It was pretty one-sided argument. I mean, New York was closer and I would have been closer to my family in Ohio, Northeast Ohio. But it's, uh, you know, the weather and the the lifestyle out here. I'm a big, I'm easily controlled by the weather. A rainy day, it's hard for me to pretend like I'm having a blast. Um but uh, so, yeah, I came out here and man, I, I walked right into a haze fest because, um, you know, the hosts at the time, Dennis and O'Neill, oh. very, very ruthless. Uh, but, you know, it was also awesome because it helped mold me into, you know, sort of I, I knew that that's actually part of the reason why I fell in love with the store was because it was so real and raw and authentic and not supportive. Like who needs support when you're going to be doing investing in something as hard as stand up comedy? Like I figure why not just burn the soul away and get get rough and down and dirty early on and, you know, have it there. But I'll tell you, like Mac Lindsay, for example, really took a liking to ruining all of my sets when I first started. So he would do this thing where, you know, I had just gotten hired there. I got hired there like after a month of doing stand up. And uh, and next thing you know, I'd be so excited looking forward to my once a week set that they give an employee there and three minutes, right? Three minutes. And I'd, I'd be working on it all week and trying to put it together. And it's your chance to do good and move up a spot, you know, at the store, move up the ranks. So I'd be working on it all week and then I'd get on stage and I'd be like nervous and excited back when in the first few months when I still got nervous, which was an exciting time. And then I'd see Mac Lindsay, this tough, tattoo covered. I mean, this guy's got a tattoo of the comedy store on him at this point. So you can tell, I mean, this guy's really a part of the club. He's like a Bill Hicks type of yelling, aggressive punk rock. Like he's a lot of things and he was a hell of a hazer. So what he would do is I'd get on stage and go, Hey everybody, how are you? And all of a sudden I'd hear we're good. Like in the same volume level of my mic, because he was on a side mic where the piano guy normally sits. He'd move the piano guy out of his spot and he would sit there and he would just respond to like all the rhetorical questions and stuff. So I, and sometimes he would just turn my mic all the way down and just start talking or yelling into his mic. Like he would do this oftentimes like punk rock type of like heavy metal, like growling noise. And uh, so I really didn't get many sets out in the very beginning. Like he would just completely ruin it. And And what's crazy is I'd never even, complained about it or talked to him about it. Like I would just completely ignore it because I didn't want to annoy him and I didn't want to bother anybody. Like I really just took it. Right. 
But I, again, like, I think it, I think it helps to do that stuff. You know, sometimes I see guys that come from other clubs and like, aren't used to the store and stuff and they get a heckle from an audience member from something or somebody drops a drink or somebody falls and they don't know how to handle that stuff. Whereas like at the comedy store, you learn that black and red NWO style of comedy. You can roll with anything and you almost want stuff like that to happen so that you can show off that muscle that's built at the store of being able to roll with things in the moment. And uh, so, you know, I'm very grateful for that because that's become a huge part of my style that, you know, people see on the road and stuff is just me talking about whatever I see and what's different in the city and the, you know, I cover, I try to cover all these bases when I'm out there. And if I see something crazy happen with an audience, you know, guy comes in late and sits in the front row, he's getting it. Uh, you know, one time there was a, uh, I did this big show with Rogan, another theater in Sacramento, and there was a, uh, a hand signal, like a, a, what is it? What is it? A deaf person, um, sign language, a sign language person, uh, um, next to the stage and they have to face outward. So they can't face the comedian. They're facing outward and they're giving hand signals for whatever they do. And it was a guy. And I, the first thing I did was, oh my God, I can't believe this. There's a sign language person here. You know, the crowd's already with me, like noticing that I'm just keeping it real. And my excitement is drawn in because I had been doing stand up every night for six years by the time I had my first sign language guy next to the stage. And then by the time I realized, you know, one part during the set, I said the word blowjob and I realized that this guy has to do this miming of a jerking off above his head hand signal. And so like I turned that into into a whole thing and the poor guy quit by the end of my set <laughs> he walked away because I just kept saying blowjob over and over again while the crowd was roaring with applause and this guy had to pretend like he was jerking somebody off over his head well you didn't say eating pussy did you no no oh you know what is interesting though is I said black dick at one point and it was longer his hand signal was longer than regular dick yeah. like it was girthier and longer so like the stroke that he was doing was more extreme and pronounced almost like he was working a trombone or something well i mean that's if you've ever seen a black dick man they are <laughs> pretty uh if you've ever seen a lexington steel video it's uh like it's the real deal oh yeah I've, I've watched him destroy a lot of, uh, I mean, that's the final, that's like the final boss on a video game for a lot of these porn stars, right? Like you beat Lex, you, 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 you take Lexington steel all the way down. Congratulations. You beat the, the final boss, but also your vagina is going to look like a baseball mitt from now on. So <laughs> dude, it, and there's another guy with a dick even bigger than his Castro from Miami. It's to uh, Google it, man. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Is that the guy with like a giant birthmark of some kind? Like it looks like he has a tumor. No, I think that's uh, Mr. Marcus. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And Ron, you know, getting back to the comic store. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ron Jeremy was there last night. He was. He fell asleep uh, toward the last half of the show. But oh, man, I bet. So, yeah, I saw him pull in the parking lot. He's a he's a good looking dude. Yeah, it's real interesting. I didn't see him pull out though, which yeah. is a surprise because normally I do see him pull out. <laughs> um, he's he's got a big dong, but he he doesn't. Uh, you know, it's just so surreal the comedy store when you see the most famous porn star of all time just yeah. passed out. 
Yeah. Well, some guy's trying to do jokes about his family or something. I don't know how he still does it. I don't know. I can't imagine what his heart must feel like when he has a boner now. Like, it's got to be rough on him. I mean, I think he had a heart attack recently. Yeah, he so, did. He did. I mean, you, you know, he's, uh, I mean, it's amazing he's still alive. And, uh, you know, only the comedy store would let a aging porn star, like, there's so much that goes on up there that doesn't go on in any other club. Right. You know, fights, blowjobs on stage. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't even think the roast battle could happen at any other no, club. No, no, definitely not. It's such a home to comedians. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden in a night, you know, and an average audience member that goes there might not realize this. They probably think they're surrounded by other audience members having a good time. But at any point, you could be surrounded by 40, 50, 60 comedians. So in the roast battle, nights like that, it can get up to 50, 60, 70. You know, Kill Tony, my podcast that I do live on Mondays there, that gets a guaranteed 30, 40, 50. Oh, I love it in there, dude. They uh, all sign up and uh, it gets crazy. Now, you did uh, probably the biggest roast battle of all time. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, did, and, did a little favor for my friends who run it and signed up to get embarrassed in front of my peers. It was a blast. Yeah, but that was a great... Uh, describe the nerves that... Uh, I mean, that's a... Uh, very uh, unique. It's like a ECW wrestling show. Totally. Pretty, pretty powerful nerves. And, you know, the one thing that I wasn't expecting was the heat in the room because they, they were double, double, triple sold out and people got in there way early and they were doing comedy and this and that. And it got really hot in there. You remember this? It was like a hundred degrees. Well, they didn't have the AC on. Right. And uh, it was just a complete debacle. So I never even caught my breath all the way from the second that I got brought up. I was I wanted it to be over. Like, well, you were wearing a sweater, too. Well, that, too. That's your look, though. Exactly. So normally, normally I can handle the heat. Normally I can handle the cardigan. But it was ridiculously hot in there. I mean, I've only done one battle, and it was one of the early ones. Oh, I didn't know that. Who'd you battle? Well, you know, this is what you would call a squash match. Uh, <laughs> it was Boon Chakalaka. Oh. Who you might think, that's an easy match, but he was hard because oh, yeah. he only said the same. I, he kept saying the same line over and over again, yeah. and it was just hard to, uh, you know. So I'm one to know technically, but I mean, you know, I was basically roasting the Brooklyn Brawler. Of, right. Uh, but you had a, you know, a tough assignment because you're roasting like the nicest guy up there. The nicest guy, the best. Funny, uh, very incredibly very funny. funny. The By far the nicest guy. I mean, this guy like takes care of his parents and, you know, it just has the best, always positive attitude, never burnt a bridge with anybody. I knew I, I knew I couldn't win. He was also 4-0. He was the defending champ. They wanted me to do it. They said, who do you want? I said, give me the champ, you know, made a fun storyline. And uh, honest to God, I knew I didn't have a chance. There's no jokes in the world that, and I play up again, you know, this is one that I really played up the bad guy thing for. I mean, I came out doing the sign of the cross, you know, blessing him because I was going to bury him. I told him it was nacho night. I, uh, cause he stumbled on the first line oh, yeah. or well, maybe it's, it was the second joke and you really pounced on him like yeah. a shark. Yeah. I go, you want me to punch that up for you? 
<laughs> you said what would you say it's not tripping on thursdays it's yeah it, over uh, here it's tripping on tuesday because the black wave was there a bunch of black people and that's an urban show i said you got tripping on tuesday over here and tripping on words over here and it got a huge laugh and then, yeah. i mean it was i thought it was a pretty even roast uh, you know but uh how do you go about like uh, in this part part of the reason why i don't think i could ever do it again how do you roast someone so nice like how do you come up with mean things to oh, say about Oh, it's really him? tough. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot more to that too, because, you know, one thing to make fun of Jesus about, if you know him, is his teeth and he doesn't smile during the roast. And another thing to make fun of is his, you know, he talks about it a lot, his big comb over. He has a, just a pile of hair that he strategically places in a certain direction. And it looks like he has hair, but he wore a hat at the roast battle, which was, you know, all of a sudden you're crossing off jokes in your head. Like, oh, okay, there goes the four teeth jokes. Cause he doesn't smile. There goes six hair jokes what? because which were, you know, ace hair jokes. You know what I mean? Like ready to just ready to decimate the room. So I ended up having to, uh, you know, sort of just attack the fact that he's Mexican and it, it's really tough doing it when he doing it, even though he's a nice guy, but that's a big part of roasting in the tradition. You know, I've been in that game for a few years uh, with Jeff and this and that. So you get used to roasting people that you respect and that you like, cause that's really part of it. It's actually a lot harder to roast somebody that you don't like and especially in a situation like that, because you got the passion and you're getting angry and then, you know, he's getting angry and you don't know where it's going to go. And you might have a, something up your sleeve, but you don't know what he has up his sleeve. So it's it's sort of uh, safer to battle somebody who you respect, in my opinion, than somebody who could lose their temper, this and that. Like I could probably take one punch, but if somebody lands two, I'm out like a light. So <laughs> Well, like that one roast with Virginia, Jeff's girlfriend, and uh, it was Candace Thompson. Like, that was great. But they, uh, I thought they were friends, but about halfway through, I'm like, I don't think they really like each other. Yeah. And it got, uh, it was a great roast. Yeah. But it got real, real fast. Well, they both, they, you know, that's a must win situation for both. Candace is a funny, funny, funny girl who works the grind on stand up. So she's like sort of the representative of the comedians in that, where Virginia is sort of like the bad girl roasting royalty. You know what I mean? Coming with it from the Jeff Ross camp as well. And, um, and so Virginia's got a ton to prove there. So that's a real battle of the titans you know and that's a great way to measure how good a battle is going to be at that thing because you can really get a who has who has to prove themselves you know if somebody's a loser and they don't care you know like your matt taylor's you know matt taylor doesn't care he doesn't he doesn't want the respect of comedians whereas a candace thompson in a virginia that's really what that room's about is getting the respect of the comedians. Even if somebody loses that thing, you can put on a great show and, you know, uh, and everybody loves you because you put on a great show and we know that it's all for them. Now, again, mine was a little bit different because they had counted 70 industry people in the room. So oh, it's crazy. On top of everything else, they had executives from Warner Brothers, Comedy Central, MTV, FX, TBS. I mean, it was a nightmare. Yeah, but so, it was great, though. I mean, you guys yeah. are two top comics and, yeah. you know, Attell was a judge. And uh, mm -hmm. who else was a judge for you? Bill Burr. I mean, yeah. Bill Burr I mean, and like uh, a monster and uh, 
Was it Hannibal Burr's? Maybe? Oh, no, it was Real Battle. Okay. I mean, Bill Burr was just... Yeah. Probably my favorite part of that roast was when Boone Shakalaka, who's the homeless transvestite, mm-hmm. was doing his... Uh, he basically is the warm-up. And Bill Burr was just couldn't take his eyes off of him. <laughs> taking pictures of him. And like, when you captivate Bill Burr, you're yeah. doing something right. Yeah, totally. And, totally. You know, it's just such a fun atmosphere up there. Yeah. And, David Tell was really funny. You know, he knows me and I opened up for him actually the week or two before that. And, but he, he was so funny. He pretended like he didn't know me. And I sort of look, I'm, I have jokes about it, like how I'm sort of gay looking, like I have pronounced bone structure and I'm skinny and right. I take care of myself. And uh, so he had a funny line. He goes, and the other guy over there, I don't know uh, whether you're Neil Patrick or Harris, but uh, <laughs> he kept doing a thing where he couldn't remember anybody's name. He called Jesus Jose and then Jesus and all these different names. It was funny. Yeah. I mean, it's just, he's such a super nice guy. Oh uh, yeah. Like, Attell's a monster. Oh, he's in Burr's. Like, yeah. I mean, Jeff yeah. Ross. I mean, it's just like so much pressure in that room. Oh, it was insane. You know. And- it, it was insane. There was enough pressure in that room to have me nervous for three different events. You know what I mean? Like I could have spread that out. And, and again, I mean, the heat is the thing that rises to the top of my mind first because it was hot man it felt like a, closer to 110 than even 100 it was hot to me and it's getting bigger i mean like the crowds the energy i mean tonight there's one with two mm-hmm. black dudes and mm-hmm. uh, it's a big night for you because you're the house racist yeah i mean you know it's getting tougher to write racist jokes but you know i, I do my best and uh you know it, it's not easy uh to appear racist and be funny. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many things you can say. <gasps> but luckily for me, the BET Awards were this weekend. So, uh, oh, yes. You know, there always seems to be something recently uh, to help me out, like the Donald Sterling thing. And uh, just when it gets tough to write a racist joke. Well, I mean, you write uh, not racist jokes, but like, uh, you know, it's tough to write on the same theme for eight months. It uh, really is. I mean, I'm I'm tapped out. It really is. It gets really rough and you got to utilize the topical things, you know, in, in anything. Uh, you can utilize the t- like a Hobby Lobby joke might be funny tonight from you. Like, uh, well, see, I don't even know what that is. Oh, the Hobby Lobby thing just happened where this place called Hobby Lobby that has Christian owners decided they had a Supreme Court case and the Supreme Court case said that they're allowed to decide who gets pregnancy uh, pills, um, birth control pills. So the Supreme Court decided that a Christian business can, while giving people medical benefits, can decide to not cover uh, birth control. Right. So like, like there might be something there like, you know, yeah, I mean, I'll have to uh, after, I w- you, <laughs> after you leave. You yeah, know, have to uh, you know pitch some magic. Well, you know, I'll do my best, and then you know, Whitney does her thing, and she's great. And uh, yeah, you guys are amazing together. I mean, I had to bring her. In. I mean, I don't know. You know, last week she made out with Jamar Neighbors, which you know that was amazing. I hope you you guys are going to acknowledge that tonight. Right? Of course, yeah. You know, I might make out with Leslie Jones. <laughs> oh yeah, I would pay to see that, brother. I mean, you know, you have well, that's the thing. You have to uh, you have to lose yourself in the character. You know, and and 
you know, hopefully no one thinks it's a real character. I mean, you know, it's just... No, of course. There's a lot of racists in this world, and I'm I'm almost making fun of white people doing it, which right. is the intent. Well, the more you go for it, the more it seems like a character. Like, people realize that you could never possibly be uh, that racist. You know what I mean? It's, it's in, in my opinion, it's more, it's more racist or less character when you just get one or two or three in. Like, it's like, but if you really pound them and go for it, you know, I get nervous doing it, man. Really? I, I don't want to bomb up there. It's, oh, it's yeah. the energies like, uh, like last week, my first sign kind of the mic cut out. So I repeated it and didn't, didn't really, uh, that was another thing that happened during my roast battle. It's the mic gave out twice on my two opening jokes, right. like in, at the start of a, at the start of a round. And it drove me crazy. Like I wanted to, f- I wanted to really freak out. Because another thing is, you know, with my stand-up style and this and that, I like to keep it real and talk about if I'm mad and this and that. But you can't do that in there. You just got to stay in the pocket and stay calm. So when there's a technical issue and all that energy is trapped oh. in that belly room, oh, my God, it's I mean, crazy. I mean, the if you're local to the L.A. scene, you must check out a roast battle. It, yeah. It's every Tuesday at midnight at the belly room of the comedy store. Get there at about 1130. Yeah. I mean, it's standing room only. And, and yeah. it's... Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the one in a, I think it's two weeks where uh, your friend uh, Kim. Yeah. Con- how do you say it? Condon or Congdon? Congdon. Uh, she's going up against Amy Chipo. Yeah. And they're not friends. I, I think they're more acquaintances. I think they really don't like each other. I th- and uh, you know, I, Amy Chipo is from uh, sort of like the uh, outside. Um, she works a lot of open mics, but not really a store person. Whereas Kim was, you know, Kim is a one of only two Kill Tony regulars. So she is way in at the store. Oh, you yeah. They're regularly. So, again, it's sort of like that insider versus outsider. But Kim has less experience, but sort of more experience because she's more dialed in, does more spots, writes more new stuff. So it'll be an amazing one. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm sure my name's going to come up uh, at least five times. So, well, I tried to give Kim a little bit of advice last mm-hmm. night. Uh, you know, because I know Amy. Let's just say, you know how wh- what I love about this roast is everyone helps everyone, right? And I think you're smart if you take the help. Yeah, uh, I think a few people have gone and like I don't want any help. I want to do it on my own, mm-hmm. and I think it's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know Amy. Uh, Let's just say she's got some real uh, assassins on the uh, payroll. Yeah, she definitely has a payroll leverage. And, uh, you know, I thought I actually mentioned your name and Benji to Kim. I'm like, listen, you know, don't let your ego get in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, use guys like Tony and Benji to help you because right. you're going to need it. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, if I was doing it, I would ask you, Dave Taylor, and Benji, and uh, absolutely Danish and O'Neill. Right. I want blood. That's right. So, well, you know, you got to go with the people that know that stuff, and uh, me, Benji, and Dave all on uh, all on roast writing stuffs at one point or another. So now you write for the uh, well. Is the burn coming back? Yeah, it's coming back in a different format uh, at some point. We're gonna find out more in the very near future. But it, it was never canceled, and that we're rebuilding a new model of it. So I don't know much. And uh, of course, you write for the Comedy Central roast. Yeah, I got another one coming up. Hopefully at uh, the end of September. Do you I guys know who? Yeah. No, unfortunately not. We find we always find out. I've always been surprised about that. They really don't know until about a month before. They they book it and they keep it secret and uh, 
tip top secret for a week or two. And then about a few weeks before word gets out. Now, do you guys have any input like, Hey, do you and Jeff and, and, and like Sarah Tiana, I think she, uh-huh. uh, you know, works with you guys, Benji, do you guys go to a comedy central exec and say, Hey, how about these? Do you give them a list of like no. people you want to roast? No, they, they, they take care of that themselves. They sort of know, and they have their, they have their ballpark of what they're shooting for. And I think they work down their own list. We just end up finding out sort of after the fact and I mean, Jeff obviously has a bigger role in that than any of us. Right. Jeff's actually one of the producers of the roast and has been for years. So he's he's in on that. But now, I, I mean, but they always have good options. It scared me one time when they said they were going to do Kid Rock. I did not want to roast Kid Rock. I mean, Why not? It just seems like we he had been out of the news for a long time. And it's just, he's sort of just like, out of the news. I mean, just not topical. So I feel like we would have given a resurgence to some guy's career. And instead we, that year ended up being Charlie Sheen, who was at the end of a meltdown was on every single news story and every magazine. And at the time, so it was quite the opposite going from, are we going to have to roast kid rock to, Oh my God, Charlie Sheen's going to make his return to TV on this comedy central row. Sure enough, most watched comedy event of all time, uh, live on comedy central, most watched any of non-sporting event ever in Canada. So out of the history of TV in Canada, non-sporting event, most watched ever was Sheen. It beat like, you know, everything. Now describe the process from day one to the night of the show, you get Charlie Sheen's name and then you just bunker down and go on the internet. And First thing I do is I sit there for about, you know, 10, 20 minutes and just breathe and think calmly and try to clear my mind and, and just think outside of different angles before I even look up the Wikipedia. And normally I, I, I have this Wikipedia process where if it's on Wikipedia, then, and then I do a measuring thing of how much I think people know about that thing. Like you can't really go inside too much unless you explain it in the joke, you know? So you could say, you know, Charlie Sheen's mom is Jewish and his dad is Mexican, bobbity ba, you know, punchline. Um, but, uh, so yeah, it's a very long process though. You know, for something like Sheen, I worked probably about, you know, six, seven hours a day, five days a week for about a month. And are you in a room with other, like Jeff and, and well, that one was an interesting one because I worked with, uh, I worked with Jeff mostly on that one, but I, I, I worked with, uh, John Lovitz on that Oh really? and Steve-O, but yeah, I worked with them at Jeff's house actually. We had a thing where we were we just set up battle camp at at the Roastmaster estate and uh, and it's fun. We sort of just sit there in the sun and in the shade and you walk around. You know, you can't really stay in one place at one time when you're when you're on a centralized target. Sort of like mm-hmm. what you're talking about with the roast battle and the racist thing. Like it's good to walk around and to like oh, get a different perspective. Go sit by the pool. Go sit in a dark corner. You know, just try to hit different angles and when something hits you that's the one thing that is amazing about writing for the roast is that i know when i just came up with one that's going to have a huge rippling effect like sometimes i know the one 
that's going to be on like in magazine and then write-ups the next day. Isn't you know? it the best? It's amazing. It's but, a sexual feeling when you, yeah. you get it in your stomach. Like, uh, oh, that's the one. It really is. It really is. And nothing is more exciting than that part, especially when, you know, there's the part where you think of it, which is the mo- really the most exciting. Cause you get this smile on your face and your eyes get big and everybody, all the other writers look at you like, what? And they know because they get excited. So then they're smiling and because, you know, when when it, when you get a pop like that and you see somebody change physically, you right. know, after watching them for hours and hours and hours that they're about to get a gem. And that's when, you know, you just let it rip. And, no. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with the reject? I mean, like how many jokes get rejected? Like, I mean, how do you, uh, is there a certain point where you never just- had a joke that I really, really believed in not get said I'll fight for it. And it always works. Really? I, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's why I'm able to stay in that realm and that, that trade like that and keep working my way up is because I know how it works really, really well. And especially, you know, there's a whole thing about formatting that people don't really factor in. Like, where is the joke placed? Is it the opener? Is it the close? I mean, the difference between these things is huge. In one position, it's it'll destroy a room. In another position, you could probably hear a cricket. So, you know, it all really, there's so many factors and things like that. But if I've ever said to anyone... Uh, especially Jeff, who really trusts me, you know, if I'm like, no, 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 you got to try this one. He'll totally trust me and do it. And he'll laugh about how, you know, he didn't, you know, maybe it's like a reference that he doesn't know, you know, like just how I just mentioned Hobby Lobby to you, you know, some people didn't watch the news on the same day as me or whatever, you know, so, but if, I, and there's also that part where I go, but you have to accentuate this word, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And, but Jeff is, what's amazing about him is he's just, not only is he a killer writer. I mean, he came cool. from the Kimmel team of the man show. That's when he first moved to LA after, you know, doing so much fun stuff in New York and the Friars club and Letterman and this and that. But anyway, he started writing with Kimmel and he's written on everything that he's done ever since then. Well, he's great. Man. And, but the performer in him during those roasts. I mean, he just turns into an unstoppable monster. It's really, really exciting to watch when, when the final thing goes in the, in the prompter and you know, the final edits are made. He's confident and cool and absolutely kills it. And it's really exciting to watch really inspirational to see somebody just because there is a part when you go from writer to performer where you just got to flip a switch and go, that's the final edit. I trust it. I think it's going to be funny. And you really got to believe this, you know, and anybody can get in their head about anything afterwards. You could have the most amazing script ever. And if you don't believe in yourself, then is it really the most amazing script ever? So it's just really great to watch him make that flip from writer to performer and then kill it. Oh, I mean, I, I don't think you worked on this roast because this might have been before uh, mm-hmm. you guys came on board. But when he did the Gene Simmons roast, yeah. were you on that? No, that was before my time. I mean, since I'm a big Kiss fan and, yeah. uh, you know, he, it was just so neat to see. You could tell he was a Kiss fan, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just neat to see him like 
do these mean-spirited jokes toward Gene Simmons. Yeah. And with the glee of like, wow, I get to... Because I don't think a lot of people realize that roasting is a form of tribute. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, if you don't like someone, you don't roast them. Right, exactly. And like I was saying about the battle, I think that's where things... That's where the roast battle and roasting actually differ, is the battle sometimes people who don't know each other and don't like each other will battle. Whereas with roasting, roasting, it's it's normally uh, a respect thing. And yeah, Jeff's a huge Kiss fan. In fact, he made a, a video I don't know if you ever saw it to try to get them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this oh, really? past year, and they ended up getting in. Yeah, no, they had. I think Jeff, I didn't see the video, but I know he was uh, a big supporter of mm-hmm. getting them in, and a lot of people aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tom Morello from uh, Rage Against the Machine was like the guy who basically got them in because yeah. uh, you know a Kiss musically, and I'm their biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, musically they. Uh, it would be like trying to get Carrot Top into the <laughs> comedy. Uh, I don't even think there is a right. comedy hall of fame. No. But, uh, you know. It's tough to get Carrot Top into anything. <laughs> well, I mean, especially a, uh, a shirt because he's, he's really on that, the, the juvie juice. He really uh, is. Warrior. But you think, he, you think he's on uh, some performance enhancing substances? I mean, I know a lot about steroids and then... Uh, you know, you could, I, I would guess, and I don't want to get sued. And I, th- for the record, I think Carrot Top's very funny. Right. I mean, he gets a lot of shit because of the props. and But, you know, as you know, you don't sell out in Vegas without being funny. That's true. Uh, you know, may not be your type of humor. You know, I'm much more into like Norm MacDonald. Right. Uh, but uh, I would say Carrot Top is on growth hormone or was. At some point, he had to be. You don't get that big naturally. It's just impossible. Right. So That's uh, one thing that I've been learning lately is that if if a guy looks really, really big, I mean, and even if he's not a pro athlete or in show business, if there's a guy that's really, really, really huge, he's got to be on something because there's only so much that lifting weights can do. Yeah. I mean, like I'm a big UFC guy. Yeah. I don't do it. Um, So, you know. I'm not into fighting, but <laughs> I don't like pain. So uh, right. there's a guy by the name of Alistair Overeem who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, literally was my size in 2003. And now he's like uh, a black, incredible Hulk. And it's right. Like, and he denies being uh, on anything, but it's like, it's just, you know, I, mean, I would love to get Rogan's take on like, you know, and he probably has a fine line to, like, it's got to be tough for him to like, be opinionated about steroids and whatnot when, you know, he basically works for the UFC. Right. I think they're usually um, just as surprised as anybody, you know, or, or maybe not, but I mean, it would be like you talking poorly about the comedy store. Like if, if someone asked you an honest question about, Hey Tony, what do you think could be run better at the comedy store? And you're like, well, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. Right. Uh, you know, you might have to skirt, you know, round honesty. Yeah, it is true. And, you know, another thing is that you sort of don't want to, you sort of start to believe in something that believes in you anyway. So it also becomes like a one-sided type of thing where I don't know what his real take on steroids in the UFC is. Um, But I mean, obviously if those athletes uh, are looking for an edge and testing's getting rougher. I mean, they're bringing it. 
Oh yeah, I mean, well, it's like pro wrestling. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what they're testing as, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty, something. Uh, what do they call it? A wellness program? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, tell me. Uh, go look at Ryback. All right. And tell oh my me, god. Tell me that's a soy whey protein or whatever he's on. Or that black dude who 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 might be oh. even uh, Murray, not Biggie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah. that guy is, and that Russian guy, Rusev. Who looks like he's from Mexico. Oh, yeah, totally. But they're really playing that character up, too. He, uh, I, I don't, I can't get into wrestling uh, these days. Uh, I just, uh, you know, like, he's not, clearly not from Russia. Right. <laughs> he's like a Mexican or something. He picked up Big E yeah. and did a, uh, like a Chris Benoit suplex. And like, my God. Yeah. I, I was, my jaw dropped. Oh, these guys are insane. At how you could like And that's also Big E's jumping into that with his legs that look like tree trunks, you know what I mean? So it's also just the fact that these guys are all helping each other out. It's just a they're wider than they are even tall. Like Big E is like five foot two in height and six feet wide of just pure muscle. Like it's, it's insane. I mean, I don't think I could pick you up. And, and do that maneuver. I can't imagine what... I'd jump into it. I'd make you look good. I, I, what do they call that? I'd, uh, I'd uh, put on a good spot, I think they call it, or something. Yeah, no. Uh, like, I once tried to put Ricky Luna, the <laughs> very funny comic from the comedy store. He's a pretty small kid. Uh, yeah. I asked him if I could put him in the razor's edge. Wow. And uh, I, you know, I picked him up and my shoulder popped right as I had him, like, up and I dropped him on his head in the parking lot. And, uh, oh man! Now doesn't he have HIV? I mean, he says he does, and I don't know who would say that if they didn't have it. It's not exactly the guy you'd want to go to with a uh, razor's edge. You right. know what I mean? See, that's that's Tony working right. That's called improv, guys. <laughs> Two guys improving. Uh, you, you know, I mean. Yeah, he, I think he does have HIV, but you, you know, hopefully he's got the magic kind. Yeah, and, uh, no, I'm sure he does. He's got uh he's got the, the you know the butt fucking HIV not the uh I didn't know there was different kinds <laughs> I don't know either who, I mean, who knows I I'm, I'm uh, I thought I had AIDS once uh, you did I I honestly and I'm not uh, I I don't try and do jokes on here wow, but uh, what kind of monster did you hook up with to where the next day you're thinking about that Well I've been with some slobs no doubt about <laughs> it but you know. I don't think you're, uh, you know, uh, I've seen some of the, you know, you were quite the womanizer back in the day. I was, man. I was new to new to Hollywood and I was enjoying, you know, I just sort of had a setup of, uh, you know, I had a gig working the door at the store. And when I worked there, I was just having a lot of fun. I, I was on cruise control because I knew if I just kept doing spots every week that I'd be good. So I would do spots and the rest was just a party. I mean, I used to, yeah, I used to have a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember one time I, I sent this broad up there to see me and, uh, Oh, did I do a little, uh, hijacking? He tried to do an end around on me. <laughs> She's like, Hey man, uh, I came up here and asked for you, but Tony said, uh, you're not there right now. And, uh, why don't we go in the main room? <laughs> yeah. Is oh. that, there's a benefit of the store is yeah. like you, you get one, you get spots. The, most of the employees are comics mm -hmm. and uh, the store is a very uh, sexually charged atmosphere and it's very competitive. I think uh, oh, definitely, you know, if, if one guy sleeps with one girl, then 
you know, you want to sleep with two girls, so you can have bragging right. Or, you know, right, right. Probably totally. not the best example, but uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of competitiveness at the store constantly. There's an on stage thing. There's an off stage thing. There's a girls thing. There's pretty much every sport is now being played at the comedy store. I'm surprised there's not like a weightlifting comedy store competition league. That seems like something that could easily be started. That seems right up your alley. Maybe I could get past if I. Uh, <laughs> If I won, uh, you know, some weightlifting uh, competition. There's a softball league, a fantasy football league that has a championship belt that I'm currently the holder of. Now, uh, I had to quit uh, fantasy football because I'm I'm such a Steeler fan that yeah. I would uh, literally sit out players who were playing against the Steelers. Of course, they'd have huge games and I'd lose my fucking, uh, you know, game that week. I, what? How do you do you have a your I'm assuming you're from Ohio, Cleveland or Cincinnati, your your team? I'm actually Italian, so it's a weird thing. If you were raised around my time, no matter where you were raised around and you're Italian, you're in you're by default a Miami Dolphins fan because of Dan Marino was the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Oh, one of the uh and so every Italian dad and mom in the country, if you were raised in, you know, the eighties, early nineties, you're a Marino fan, no matter where you grew up. So I'm actually a Dolphins fan. Um, Still? I actually like college a lot more than the NFL. All my brothers and sisters and myself all went to the Ohio State University. And it's a little bit faster, more dangerous. I mean, not faster. I mean, the the game speed is a little bit faster. The gameplay obviously isn't. But uh, um, so I'm just a little bit more of a college football fan. The only reason I even got into this fantasy football league is when I saw a pro wrestling style championship belt with the comedy store logo hanging over the front bar. I said, I'm going to join this league and I'm going to win it. I named my team even just to mess with all the guys, the Hinchcliffe winners. You know, everybody else has little funny, goofy names like Lee's dead baby dust and, you know, Tom's truck stop team or whatever and i just came right out the Hinchcliffe winners and you know really laid the smack down i was number one in the power rankings all all season and the reason why is because i obsessed about it for about an hour a day at the end of each night instead of you know doing my usual reading of encyclopedias or whatever i normally do to end my night i uh, obsessed over wanting that belt I saw the I'm 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 that big of a pro wrestling fan that I saw a belt with the comedy store logo and I would have done pretty much any kind of competition to win it. And sure enough, luckily, because it is just a game, luckily I was able to seal it out in the end and uh I got the belt and they etched my team name on it, which is really funny because it says, you know, like two thousand 14 winners, the Hinchcliffe winners. Like, it's really obnoxious. Was there any money involved? There was. There was, yeah, there was a little bit of cash. But again, like, even that, it's just, I would have, that was just a bonus. It was just all about the belt. I'm just such a cheese ball with that stuff. Now, how fun is it for you? We're both big wrestling fans. Yeah. To interact on a, a, a fairly, uh, often basis with Rowdy Piper. Hot it's Rod. Unbelievable. In fact, uh, last week for two days for a few hours, I sat down helping him with his uh, um, European tour he's going on next week. And we're meeting up again at the end of this week. But uh, it's unbelievable. You want, Again, here's one for you. This is a guy that flips a switch in his brain 
and he is a performer all of a sudden. He'll go from your buddy sitting right next to you or you're having lunch with him, this and that. But when I go, all right, let's say that, why don't we talk about this and then that and then that and then that. And he goes, all right, I'm going to stand up here and do it. So we're in that main room empty during the day. I'm sitting down like in the front row audience section. He's on stage killing it. And I mean, at a thousand miles an hour, this is a guy who flips a switch in his head and is just in the moment and in character. And it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I was just talking last night with somebody about how I've gotten to meet all my favorite big celebrities at the store, Dave Chappelle, Jim Carrey. I mean, the Jim Carrey was the first funny man. When I was a kid, I, I used to just crack up at In Living mm-hmm. Color. Howling, howling, howling. Quentin Tarantino. Um, you know, I met Two Chains, currently my favorite rapper. You know, a bunch of like big celebrities who I'm a fan of. John but, Rich, right? Yeah, yeah. But nothing, nothing, nothing affects me like a pro wrestler. It's like seeing a real life Mickey Mouse or somebody that really affected you when you were a kid and nothing excites me more than that. In fact, when I saw Brett the Hitman Hart at the store, I I ran into a bunch of stuff. Like you ever see in a movie when somebody sees somebody that like they're nervous to be around and they fall back into something and make a bunch of noise. (laughs) And that's their first impression of the person. I fell into a sewing machine at the comedy store because I saw Bret Hart. Like first I saw the jacket. I was making a routine walk to the back to smoke some pot and, and with the piano guy, Jeff Scott. And Jeff Scott's in front of me. We're just walking through that little area where the chandelier is and the stairways come down I saw a black leather jacket out of my peripheral. My eyes sort of move up. I see black, stringy, wet looking hair. And then when I saw that face, I flew back about three feet and just do, 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 do. And Brett looks over. I go, oh, hello. Uh, hi, I'm, T- I'm Tony. And Piper goes, Tony, this is Brett Hart. And I'm just like, I couldn't even catch my breath. Same I mean, feeling at the, like the roast battle. I felt like it was 110 degrees and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was, I was putting on a performance just to make it look like I wasn't about to pass out is basically what was going on there. So nothing is like hanging out with pro wrestlers. Which is funny <laughs> to me because I don't imagine you ever getting starstruck. But right. like, you know, these guys are, I always say like they're like meeting superheroes mm-hmm. like in the flesh and mm-hmm. i know how you feel because when i met the ultimate warrior i couldn't look at him like you I really just, did where'd you meet him at he uh did an autograph signing uh actually right up the street on sunset wow. and uh walking by the store one day and said ultimate warrior signing and uh i guess the, his manager owns this record store so they did like a a wrestling signing um and there was like 300 people. I was the last guy in line, just praying no one saw me waiting in line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was nervous about meeting him because my friend used to be his lawyer. And he said, Earl, you don't want to meet him. He's, he's kind of, a, you know, uh, crazy and he's somewhat of a dick. And so, uh, you know, I was the last guy and uh, I go up the stairs and he's in full gear. Wow. You know, uh, the Speedos, the arm tassels, the boots, full makeup. And uh <laughs> I just stared at his feet. I'm like, hey, Mr. Warrior, nice to meet you. And 
he's like, Earl, thank you for coming. You know, do you want me to sign anything? And he just started signing all these things. And I'm like, thank you, Mr. Warrior. And I just, I couldn't look at him. I was like, wow. And I was like shaking. I was so fucking. And you know, I had the, it really is. Again, I get starstruck at nobody. I could meet Obama tonight and handle it like a champ. But for example, another one that I just remembered about was Mick Foley came to the comedy store a couple months ago and I couldn't talk to him. Yes. Everybody else went up and talked to him. People that like wrestling, you know, less than me. But I could not bring myself to do it. I knew that I should. I knew that it'd be the right thing to tell him that I always have admired his amazing body of work. Oh. And I couldn't do it. Now, what's funny is that my agent and I had a talk uh, last week and he goes, hey, uh, I, I represent Mick Foley as well. And he has some dates coming up at the Brea and Irvine Improv. Would you be interested at all in opening up for him? I don't know if you're a pro wrestling guy or not. And my jaw just dropped. You know what I mean? Because I realized, wow, this is it. You know, and, and, and it's crazy because that is something that uh, there's something to be said for is that I really do believe in this weird, crazy world where there is no explanation for anything that if you sort of just want something and you just are patient and you hold on to the hope and you really, really love something up here that in a weird way, the universe does sort of open up weird opportunities like that. And when he said that, you know it all made sense. So I am going to be opening up for Mick Foley at the end of July at, uh, in Irvine and Brea. And that's going to be interesting. Cause now I am going to have to, I can't even imagine the drive out there by the way. Cause these are, but for the listeners, these are comedy clubs that are about exactly an hour away from here. So you always have a drive to these places and you know, and normally it's a, normally they're my favorites, it, the favorite drives. I'm always just thinking about how cool, the life is that I'm driving there, going to do a spot, drive back, go to the comedy store, call it a night. But this one, the drive there, I'm going to be only thinking about Mick Foley questions and not even questions, but like, cause I'm not going to annoy him obviously, right. but I'm just, you know, I'm going to have little battle plans for what might come up and what, what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do and where I'm going to stand or sit or behave. And thank you, Mr. Foley. Do I say Mr. Foley? Do I say Mr. Mankind? You know, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to do love bang, right? bang. cactus Jack. Yeah. I mean, that, this guy's like, <laughs> this guy lost his fucking ear. to wrestling. <laughs> like it got caught in the cage and it, I forget who he was wrestling. He, you know, they went to throw him off and his ear just stayed in the cage. And that it. fall off the hell in the cell. Oh I mean, my nobody God, had dude. ever seen anything like that at the time. And every single time I see it, it's still just, I like tear up. I literally like tear up at his passion for wrestling and the fact that he would do that for the fans. That's all that that is. That is a man going overboard for people like you and I so that we jump up out of the couch that we're sitting on, you know, and that's what that's for. He didn't, he didn't get a bonus for that. In fact, Vince told him never to do anything like that again because he doesn't want anybody dying on the show. But so Mick, that was just for us. You don't get a you don't get a five thousand dollar hell in the cell jump off bonus check. That's the kind of guy that Mick Foley is. And that's the way that I look at things like that. And so I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I feel guilty for basically you and I and, and thousands like us are responsible for these guys' early deaths because it's like, <laughs> you know, if we didn't 
if the man wasn't there for a bump like that or when he fell through the cage onto the thumbnails, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. they wouldn't do it. Which, you know. which is even, which by the way is just as crazy as the other fall. I mean, it's only three or four feet less than the other one. And he goes straight down on those thumbtacks. Because you, you've wrestled. You yeah. know that that uh, mat they're on, it, it ain't that forgiving. Well, here's here's the thing that people don't really factor in. Correct. The mat's not forgiving. The springs aren't really that forgiving. But what most people don't know about is it's actually your internal organs that have to bounce off of your back or your ribs every time that a fall like that happens. Like even though your body, your outside body hits, what you can't see is the fact that your kidneys and your liver and your lungs and your heart all have to take that same fall. So they're inside your body bouncing off of your spine and your ribs and your bones and it ain't pretty in there. So it's often, what's really amazing about Mick is that there are maybe I just don't know about it, but I mean, I, there had to be so many internal bleeding injuries, which are so scary and so amazing. But at the same time, when we're talking about guys dying young, and I think about this a lot, because again, standups and uh, pro wrestlers really aren't that far off. I mean, pro wrestling's obviously, and especially the WWE, a lot more extreme, a lot more work, but I don't know if a lot of them would do anything else. It, I think oh. they love it so much. I don't think they're capable of doing anything else. Well, that too. Once I mean, once you commit, I mean, all those guys had to commit at least, what, five, ten years before getting in. I mean, you know, but I'm can, not... But can you imagine it? Do you ever picture walking out of that gorilla area and all of a sudden one black curtain and then there you are? Do you ever picture that metal ramp down to the ring and what you would oh, do man. and what you would be? I'd be a maniac, man. I mean... I can't imagine the like, the, the. I mean, you know, I know you've played in front of big crowds in front of Rogan. I mean, I played in front of some theaters with Schneider where it's like uh-huh. two thousand people or whatever, and yeah. it's like, wow, this is it's like a sexual like. Oh, it's like yeah. you're coming, but you're not coming. Oh, and, and it's the whole twenty minutes we're up there or however. It's better long. than coming. You can come anytime you want. You can go to a public restroom and rub one out if you have to. And I've done it. Nothing beats that feeling of all those people. That's why I can't even imagine what these arenas must be like when it really pops and something really hits. Like a couple of things come to mind. When Daniel Bryan does that yes thing, that has to be the most rewarding thing ever. Oh, yeah. Or like what was I watching the other day? I I still watch this uh, when Hogan, the few times he pass the torch in the business to Goldberg and when uh, <laughs> Mr. Perfect came out to like interrupt the match and Carl Malone came out and gave him a diamond cutter. Oh yeah. And then Goldberg spears him and Goldberg, you know, puts him up in that thing where he the jackhammer. Right. But he would hold it for a second mm-hmm. and the crowd was like sixty thousand people at the Georgia Dome and it was like I I can't imagine what that would Oh, totally. Goldberg had it. Goldberg had all the pop in the world. He had me changing the channel for the first time ever. Yeah, because he was like basically not a knockoff, but a, uh, you know, I think the WCW's uh, answer to uh, Steve Austin, who I think will be at the roast uh, from what I hear. I heard that rumor too, and my mind will be blown. I can't even think about that yet because that's just too much for me to even comprehend. Oh, yeah. Being near Stone Cold 
is, I mean, that's just, that's too much. I can't even think about it. I don't even want to start thinking about it. I start either laughing or tearing up or something just by thinking about it. Like, it's so weird how these pro wrestlers affect me. Oh, yeah, it's man. It's unbelievable. No matter how old you are, like yeah. they're a product of your childhood. You would think I'd be a pro wrestler and that it'd be my, that that would be, I mean, and I would be, by the way, if I, if I had any body or height whatsoever, I would totally just go do that and sort of do what I think Dolph Ziggler is not that far off from wanting to be a stand-up comedian that just has to do pro wrestling because he has a pro wrestling experience and body. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him at the comedy store in uh, after his retirement. But my point is, is that I would I would just try to be the funny bad guy wrestler if I had the chance. And I think that since it's something that I physically and mentally can't obtain, that I look at it like this, the fantasy life. And, but you uh, could, though. I mean... You really think so? I, I mean, and, and this goes kind of hand in hand, I think, with with comedy and, and, you know, the writing and pro wrestling. If you have a good storyline, anybody... Mm-hmm. Like, look at Spike Dudley. There's a dude. Now, he never was, like, a huge star, but... Like he was a skinny, not that you're skinny, but like he had your frame. It's true. It's true. And he made it to a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. You would think this guy would never be in a major storyline. And there he was. Yeah. You know, and that's like, a, I think anyone in pro wrestling can be a star if they're given a good storyline. Yeah. I mean, would you ever think someone as short as Daniel Bryant? No. Would be the, the guy. He's it's, the guy. It's true. It's true. And look at Bray Wyatt. I mean, look at his body, normal looking guy, but you know, he really has the technical side down of things. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a few of them, but then you got those monsters in there. The great Kali yeah. standing, what? Seven, one, seven, two. Oh, and just, uh, like Dolph Ziggler's brother, uh, he works out at, or he uh, used to work at Equinox and, uh, he's a wrestler too. And he, he's wrestled with the great Kali and he's like, the guy doesn't know how strong he is. I mean, he's just, you know, he said he would chop him and yeah. it would like just feel like a crane hit him. And Ugh. I can't imagine, you know, I mean, the great Khali's like legitimately like seven two, yeah, 500 pounds, no fat. Yeah. You know, some of these guys, I, I you know, Chris Benoit doing those, uh, you know, suplexes. Those German suplexes. He Where, wouldn't. He wouldn't let go of the waist. He would yeah. just keep popping you all the way over his body, and you'd land on the back of your neck. And he would do it like three times. Yeah, like it wasn't just one. It was like, you, you know. I mean, I still want to know where the kid's tag team partner was, you know, to make the save, you know, when he killed him. Oh, so, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> you snuck one in on that. Yeah, dude, that's on the slide. <laughs> I mean, the crossface did work. I mean, we know that now. Well, he was crippled. Right. <laughs> See, that's improv, guys. Just two guys, like, just taking something out of nothing. It was a, it was a two against Benoit. Right. <laughs> I mean, I thought the kid, you know, I don't know, someone would jump in off the crib and, you know, make the save. Yeah. But, but I love Bray Wyatt, though. I mean, he's like, he's athletic, though. You see that movie does where he like, it's he like a bridge, yoga pose. He bridges up all the way like a spider. And he's my favorite right now. In fact, I, uh, I had a pitch meeting with the WWE uh, last week for a job. 
Did I tell you about? I this? didn't want. I didn't know if we could talk about it because I know there's all confidentiality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying. And and I went in there and basically marked out for Bray Wyatt and told him that that could be the future and that this and that and you know I didn't hold anything back with my opinion of the fact that I think that's a guy that you know oh, he's a star. would be an amazing champion and uh, you know I mean maybe not right now but very very soon and I think they got to keep the momentum on him going and um uh I saw him at Money in the Bank two nights ago. I don't know if you get, did you get to catch that? You know, I, I didn't just because I'm, I, you know, outside of him and, and maybe one or two other guys, I just, right. I don't like the product. No, who, yeah. what was the, who won or? Well, my point is that when Bray came out, his following is getting bigger and bigger. And there's a thing that happens now that when he comes out, fans started, I guess, a month or two ago, they would hold up their cell phones right. and sort of just slowly wave them. To the, the whole air. world in his hands. Well, when just to his entrance. When oh, okay. comes out. So it's pitch black, dark, and he's walking out, and you see him with a lantern. And then when he's walking, you see the camera stay on that stage and in position, and you see all the place light up. And the, the commentators at Money in the Bank even had to acknowledge, like, his following is getting out of control because the whole stadium was lit up with people's cell phones just waving them in synchronization and it's really powerful everything he does is something new that sort of hasn't been done before so oh he's got a great look but you know i just worry that his look is kind of limiting like after this whole duck dynasty uh you know uh thing blows over it's like okay but you know, it's it's hot. I like the other two guys. Who are the other two guys with him? Lee Harper and Eric Rowan. Now, what's amazing about this Lee Harper guy? Is that is, the guy with the black hair? Yeah. Right. Is that this is the most agile big man I've ever seen. You gotta you gotta look it up sometime. Look at Lee Harper. You can go on YouTube and look up like Lee Harper moves moves or something like that. Like uh, or Lee Harper craziest moves. Right. Uh, anyway, this guy six foot five, I do believe six foot six, probably about three three twenty maybe. Big guy. Yeah, three three twenty can throw you into the ropes and then hit a hurricane rana. Now this is a maneuver <laughs> that's normally done by the luchador wrestlers or smaller guys, much smaller guys. Right. It's when you jump up and your legs go over your opponent's shoulders. So you have to jump up that high. So higher than a drop kick and you have to time it and everything. And then you spin and they, you flip them with your legs from wrapping your legs around their head and scissoring their head and flipping. They do a flip and nobody that big anywhere out of all the years that I've watched wrestling can do that. So he can do it. And it's really something else. The guy, both of those guys are doing moves that most big guys can't do. Oh, no, he's not even like the other guy. You know, it's just the look and uh, scary kind of reminds me of a young undertaker, you know, exactly. He, uh, and I think that's the thing that those three guys are really good at is that undertaker esque type of darkness. But with the following, you know, they weren't really expecting the undertaker to become such a great oh, good no. guy. But, you know, I mean, he was supposed to be villain all the way. But what are you going to do once you fall in love with somebody? Once you really like him and you're rooting for him, it's it's fun to have, root for a bad guy once in a while. And those guys are right there, and then they're gonna they're gonna be around for a very long time. That Bray Wyatt is oh, he's great. Definitely going to be around for the next two decades. 
So. I mean, I remember The Undertaker in WCW when he was mean Mark Calloway. Yeah, Mark Calloway. I mean, you know, WCW really had some great... They had everybody at one point. It's uh, Austin when he was uh, stunning Steve Austin yep. in the Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm excited. I want to put your writing skills. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. We don't necessarily have to wrap up, but I always try and uh, mm-hmm. uh, want the audience to go, I want to, I want that guy or girl back uh, for another episode. So I don't like to blow it all out in one shot. But since we're talking about writing, comedy, wrestling... My favorite wrestler recently has just signed on to the WWE, uh, the great Sting. Ooh. Um, he, actually, his first uh, vignette was uh, during the Warrior tribute, you know, because they started together. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so weird to see Sting on, you know, basically a WWE product for the first time. He's 54. He doesn't look as good as he used to. Uh, you know, he's 54. How do you, how do you, how would you bring him in? Like what storyline would you, you know, you probably, before you say it, he's probably got one run in him mm-hmm. before he wants to just like, you know, uh, retire. Mm-hmm. How, how do you bring him in? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Now, when you say he probably has one run in him, you mean a few matches, right? Well, yeah. Like, uh, I see, I, I was thrown for a loop because I thought the perfect, uh, angle before WrestleMania where Lesnar beat, uh, uh the undertaker, which I was kind of a little shocked at. Cause, oh yeah. I think everybody was, <laughs> I mean, Lesnar's a short timer. I mean, you yeah. know, he, he doesn't really, uh, you know, he gets like one or two TV shows a month and, and yeah. basically does the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think it would have been cool to, uh, this is where my writing mind goes, like WrestleMania, Lesnar and The Undertaker are wrestling. All of a sudden the arena goes dark mm-hmm. and you see Sting drop from the rafters and like somehow fuck up the match and then you do a whole year build up for him and The Undertaker. Right. But I guess that's some. I mean, I guess you could still do something like that. But yeah, no, I would, I would have loved that. No, it, I'm pretty sure Taker's done. I'm pretty sure we got to gamble on the fact that Taker is done. He did not look good in that match at all. I think something might be wrong. I think he. They said that about halfway through, and uh, he got a concussion because yeah. I mean, like we were talking earlier. I can't imagine what taking any move from Lesnar feels like. Right. Uh, whether it be a clothesline or, fuck, I don't know, just a toehold would hurt. No, yeah. I mean, the, that guy's a complete, a complete total package monster. I mean, that's a guy, Brock Lesnar is a guy who the both the UFC and the WWE have bidding wars over every single contract extension. Yeah, I mean... Can you uh, imagine being that guy to where you're so amazing that you're wanted on both the entertainment end of things and the actual fighting end like that's covering all the bases i mean i think lesnar's problem in the ufc was he didn't necessarily like getting hit i mean who does but right i i think uh like when that guy i was talking about earlier overeem who who beat him pretty badly uh he gave him a liver kick and you could mm-hmm. literally see lesnar go ouch like it, I mean, like and then it was over okay uh, i think i got it i think i have the answer it just hit me right now all right so this is stings the great steve borden's debut if wwe if you're out there listening we should have hired this guy it still might happen yeah i think so we'll Give see it. but here's here's what i would do is i would say sting uh you know 
what do we look at him as the icon of the WCW? WCW, purebred, the one guy that we haven't seen wrestle a WWE match. Now, never. And right. He's the only guy to never go to the dark side, so to speak. Right. So I think that... Uh, I think that we're cutting. Uh, I think that uh, you know something happens. Whoever the current champ is, Bobby Ba, uh, loses to. I would say, um, you know, the great Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple right. H, WWE royalty, the son-in-law of Vince McMahon, the COO of the WWE, and I think Triple H is the champ. And him and Stephanie and Vince come out one Monday night. And they're just gloating and they go, we've run the gambit. We've beaten everybody and nobody's left. We've just, we've completely, we, not only do we run the WWE, we win at the WWE and he's, Triple H has taken down everybody. You know, they do their McMahon stuff and drive the crowd crazy. And that's when lights out down with the bat you know with the bat and i mean bat versus sledgehammer match triple h versus sting sting comes down and he goes you're right you have beaten everybody in the wwe <laughs> you know and like they mentioned the pop of the crowd right oh that would be huge <laughs> um i'm tearing up right now <laughs> bat versus sledgehammer match uh you know put them both on a pole for the wwe championship at uh you know i mean uh, i mean that could easily that be, a WrestleMania. be WrestleMania. um but it could also you know i mean you could do that anywhere if uh if they wanted to give somebody else a push for WrestleMania. But, um, you know, I mean, and even maybe not even for the belt, maybe it's just triple H just gloating one day saying right. the wrong thing at the wrong time with the McMahon's next to him. I've beaten everybody in the WWE. Oh, that's right. You have beaten everybody in the WWE. <laughs> like, I mean, that just sounds like it's got a great ring to it. So, I mean, I think Sting's reluctance always in going over there was one, he's a reborn Christian. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he wasn't into the... Uh, the Attitude Era. You know, the, the bra and panties, <laughs> fucking mud wrestling thing, and the gold dust, uh, yeah. homoerotic character. Yeah. Uh, but I also I saw in an interview that he uh, he was thinking one year about going over there, and, and he saw Booker T's first match when he came over from WCW, and he said The Rock... Uh, I think it was against The Rock, and he comes out, and The Rock just looks at him and goes, who are you? And Sting took that as, you just buried the guy, and he's not even in the WWE for five minutes. Right. And I think that was his concern. But that would be, you know, because, like, with your storyline, I love it. I think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. But I I have a hard time seeing Triple H not necessarily job to Sting. Like, I think Vince McMahon has this thing of somewhat bearing WCW guys mm-hmm. and I it would be in, and I'm sure Sting has enough creative control over you know his character be like hey I ain't, you're not putting me in a match with Hornswoggle right uh, so it'd be it would be interesting to see how who would win well what what uh, another big thing that I factor into that decision and that you have to when you're thinking like this is you got to put him up against somebody who's going to make him look good right. and will make the other guy look good and Triple H is you know, even though he's never really been my cup of tea, you got to give credit to where it's due. And Triple H is 
definitely one of the best ever athletes and oh my God. wrestlers and just an absolute monster in the ring. So he'll make Sting look good. Sting will make him look good because, I mean, Sting is Sting. And, uh, you know, it could just get amazing that that battle and i would say yeah you know the way around that thing and i totally agree with you is vince will mess with him in some way and that's you know he would obviously get assaulted by triple h a couple times you know he would take a he would take a sledgehammer to the knee or you know during doing something else you know that's how they build all those things so you know leading up to the match he would get you know punished yeah, yeah. But that that that'll make it all the sweeter when he straps in that uh you know, maybe he just holds on to the stinger drop and hits three of them in a row, sort of like that Benoit style, just keeps getting up with Triple H, the crowd just going crazier for each one and one, two, three. <laughs> I'm telling you, if Sting ever comes to the comedy store, I'll cry. Man. <laughs> That's the one dude I wanna meet. Like I'll, I'll just <laughs> I'll never come off so gay. Oh, I know. I, I mean, it's the I weird. would just stare at him. Right. Right. Sting. Yeah. <laughs> no, my name's Steve. You can call me Steve. Uh, you're Sting. <laughs> I mean, can you put me in a scorpion death lock? Yeah. I mean, you know, but that's, you know. Which, by the way, that would be, you know, that would have been. Did they ever? Uh, I guess maybe they probably did it. They probably put Sting up against Bret Hart when they had him in the WCW. Yeah, I think they uh, They might have been. T- you know, that was like when WCW was really off the rails. Yeah, it was like, just too much. You know, NWO had fucking Virgil in it. And, Oof. Uh, you know, I mean, that was like so sad. They needed you uh, to write those scripts or something because that was like. Uh, Bischoff went a little bit crazy there. Yeah, I mean, that was there was a great story in uh, Jericho's book where he said he was negotiating with Bischoff and, you know, Bischoff's like, what do you want to get paid? And he's like, oh, how about 90,000? And Bischoff was like, how about 170? Like, he totally, like, just <laughs> offered him. I mean, it was just uh, it was so, such a, you know, it's got to be tough for uh, wrestlers now. Like, you say a guy like Stang, who... There's really only the WWE to go to. It'd be like if you as a comic, there's just a comedy store. Right. And then your only other option was Sal's Comedy Hall. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing I don't like. I wish uh, TNA is not really, uh, TNA is like the ha-ha. I mean, yeah. it's just. Uh, Some competition would really, uh, it, it, it always makes for better everything. I mean, yeah. w- WCW doesn't step up with the NWO and uh, Goldberg at one point, And the WWE never even gets into their attitude era. We don't even know yeah. of a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Rock or an anything like that. You know, competition's definitely best for business, which is a big reason why I think the comedy store works so well. I don't think it's really talked about that much that it's competitive competitive i don't think that anybody ever really mentions it out loud but i think it's ridiculously competitive and everybody's pretty much vying for just a few spots which is between 9 30 and 11 oh yeah and everything else is sort of just everybody's paying their dues oh yeah you know but competition's definitely best for business and uh it would be cool if there was something else but i mean they just they got it right now that's a billion dollar company they just got their own network i mean there's no doubt they have it do you have the network it's the coolest thing ever well i don't know if i should say this over the air but uh the certain comic we know who uh likes cupcake t-shirts gave me his password so i uh you know when the warrior died he's like hey man they did this whole four-hour thing you should check it out and uh there's a show you got to watch on this network it's called legends of wrestling 
you go to TV shows, you go to the vault. And it's, so you have it, you have the network. Yes. And it's the only thing that I even watch anymore. Now that game of Thrones and breaking bad and house of cards, all, all the shows that I like are off. So all that I do is I'll go watch an old wrestling and just fucking crack up. I mean, my only problem, I watched like one uh, brief clip of it and uh, like obviously Piper's a legend and uh, I, I, you know, uh, I don't know if I would say Howard Finkel. I, there had to have been someone else that could have gotten. Oh, that's Legend's House. That's the reality show. That's also unbelievably entertaining to me. And uh, it gets better as each episode goes on that season. I know what you're talking about. Pat Patterson. I mean, this guy was more known for Ring Boys than. Uh, oh, he, oh, it's great. He comes out at, in the in the last episode. Which that's got to be tough. And I'll try and intersperse this with the world of comedy. I mean, to be a gay comic, uh, you know, especially like at a place like the Comedy Store, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably tough to. Uh, you know, it's such a. Uh, macho testosterone based uh club that to be a, a gay wrestler like legitimately like a I, that's gonna be tough to come out and say hey guys i like guys right i mean because that's kind of a homoerotic uh world itself uh, mm -hmm. you know uh i i would imagine it would be quite tough to come out Oh, yeah. No, I can't even imagine. Uh, but for Pat Patterson, who had been in the wrestling business, oof, I mean, 40, 50 years. I mean. Yeah, I mean, he was gay. Or, and that's a business where it's not accepted. Whereas even the comedy story feel like it's a bit more tolerant than barely than right than the locker room at the WWE. I mean, if had those guys known that they were getting, you know, put in a camel clutch by a guy that wanted to put them in a camel clutch yeah. uh, <laughs> at the best west because <laughs> um, canyon was gay and uh, i don't think yeah. a lot of people knew and i think he killed himself really uh yeah i think he passed away uh, you know i'm sure uh and speaking of the guy who gave us gave me the password the cupcake uh, man mm -hmm. you know canyon had a lisp and oh like, yeah, he did. You know, but he was an amazing in-ring wrestler, and yeah. you know, he just never, uh, you know, kind of like Lance Storm. He never like. It's weird how some guys just never get beyond a certain level. It's true. So you know, and that uh, you know the probably the most memorable Lance Storm thing, and this goes to good writing, was when they said, or who, however they phrased it to him, we're, we're going to make you super boring. And that was his character. It was mm -hmm. being boring. And it was great. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, people got to revamp their characters as they go on. Even The Undertaker rode a motorcycle at one yeah. point. Uh, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan went NWO, Hollywood Hulk. Um, Do you think that's the greatest uh, written uh, storyline, turning Hogan bad? I, I think it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I mean, when those, and, and, I, and I'd argue that with almost anybody that that's as good as it gets, that Bischoff pulled almost a 9-11 of wrestling, and it's just a day that anybody that was even close to being a wrestling fan at the time, it affected everybody. It's just so undeniable, and the Kevin Nash and Scott Hall coming over and going by their real names, it was reality before reality like it was it was that was foreshadowing of everything entertaining that was to come after that there was something about finding out their real names yeah that made it so cool it made us feel like we were doing something 
wrong and naughty by watching that station who was making a good run at the, at the, at the Kings. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely the best NWO coming in. I mean, they bought out their best guys. They bought the WWE's top echelon, that part of Mount Everest that's covered in snow. Ted Turner bought the, the WWE's oh, yeah, version man. of that and just played with it. Like I mean, a that toy. was like, like to me to go up against the WWE now, then, or anytime really, you need four things. You need a short-term storyline, a medium one, and then a long-range plan mm-hmm. and the money to implement that. Well, you got to you gotta watch this the show that I'm telling you about. It's not Legends House. It's called Legends of Wrestling, and it's on the network. And one of them is about, you'll, you'll see if you scroll through it, it's four guys... And Jim Ross always sitting around a table just talking shop. And they go off on tangents about stuff that's just incredible. But one of them is about the NWO and Bischoff's on the panel. And Michael P.S. Hayes is bothering him and really driving. Oh, you tried to take our you tried to take our jobs. You tried to ruin our company. Like it gets really passionate. It's amazing to watch. And Bischoff talks about creating it and how Ted Turner goes, what should we what do we have to do to compete with Vince McMahon? And Eric just says, you know, well, we need to uh, we need to buy some of their best people. Ted goes, okay, great. Here's here's a check. What do you want? How much is that going to cost? Like he Ted wanted to destroy Vince McMahon and they implemented a plan and bing, bang, boom. Mind you, Bischoff started as just a part time announcer. announcer. And he wasn't even good at it. It was horrible. He was a guy just good enough to hold on to the job, just long enough to write something else, to create something. To, and he changed the game forever. Now he's, you know, and you, again, you want to talk about that sting thing where it's like Vince McMahon loves messing with people. Oh, does he mess with Bischoff? Boy, oh boy, he doesn't give him anything. Uh, and even like for the things like on that Legends uh, Legends of Wrestling, when Jim Ross introduces him at the very, very beginning, he goes, you know, we're here with our esteemed panel, Bobby Ba, you know, from the great, fabulous Freebirds and uh, wrestling uh, creative consultant, Michael P.S. Hayes, um, former president of WCW, former leader of the NWO. You know, next time I'll try to get some credits for you that aren't that don't start in the word former. You know, it's like... Like every, it's just all ball busting on him. And, oh no! Uh, I mean, to me, his greatest work, other than that storyline, was uh, the swerve when he was the minister in Billy and Chuck's gay wedding. Eric Bischoff. Yeah, dude, oh, it was the greatest. I never even seen that, dude. I'm telling you right now, you must go home and YouTube <laughs> this. Billy and Chuck are getting married, and this is when they had that tag team. The three, West three minute warning. No, this is in oh. W uh, WWE. Oh wow! And uh, Rico's the minister, or Rico's like the wedding planner who played a. I don't know if Rico was gay in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember Rico? No, you don't remember the guy with the big mutton chops, and he was a great wrestler. He just uh, when was what part was this? When this was probably one of the biggest storylines of the last decade. You know, because got mainstream coverage when Billy and yeah. Chuck were a gay. It was a gay marriage. Yeah. And so they're doing this whole thing and, and there's this really old minister and he's he's shaking like this, like he has Parkinson's and Billy and Chuck are about to get married and he's like, a marriage can last 58 years or three minutes. And he drops the Bible and he's like, wait a minute, 
did I just say three minutes? And then they come out and he takes off his mask. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's like the whole crowd. It's like, it's, wow. I'm tearing up, man. It was so fucking funny. And then oh. uh, they, there's another guy who's died, uh, Rosie and Jamal. Who was the Who was the guy who died? Uh, it was Rosie. What was he was like? Not Kamala, but he was like the Samoan guy with the paint on his face. Oh, the barbarian. No, no, he was he was like one of the last. God damn it! I hate blanking. Uh, he had a name like Kamala. Oh, After Kamala. he was Rosie and Jamal, he, he was like uh, he died recently. Uh, he picked up Stephanie McMahon and, and power bombed her, and it was just great theater. And yeah. So please, dude, you will love Billy and Chuck's gay wedding. Oh, I'm definitely gonna look that up. All right, now what I want to wrap up with mm -hmm. is your podcast, Kill Tony, mm -hmm. which I have had the privilege of uh, playing the Iron Patriot. On a few times. And you've been on the panel as well. I've been on the panel. What I like about it is you're, you're giving these young... You, describe the premise of the show. Well, uh, you know, uh, comedians watching uh, newer comedians. I always have two of my funniest pals come on and uh, we sit there and we watch newer comedians, a brand new comedians sometimes, uh, do a minute of material and then we talk to them about what they're working on and stand up and this and that. So sometimes the new comedians are funny. Sometimes we make fun of them and sometimes we help them out. And, uh, you know, it's always just a bunch of fun stuff going on. We have a head of security. I work with the great Brian Redband, who's the co-host of the Joe Rogan experience and the founder of the death squad podcast network. And, uh, so he brings some lighthearted, goofy, immature comedy to, uh, to the, table and we just talk shop anybody who loves stand-up comedy at all will love the podcast kill tony and how do they listen to it? i know it's you can find it on itunes you can go to deathsquad.tv and actually watch it it's very fun to watch maybe watch one and then listen to another one because uh, then you could sort of get the idea of what it looks like. Uh, but there's a lot of fun stuff going on. We just did an episode with Joe Rogan and Dom Irera. So that's very powerful. And uh, so many great episodes out there. Earl's on one, Jeff Ross, Mark Marin, Doug Benson. Uh, so many great episodes. We headlined the LA podcast fest. That's a good one to watch. Um, but uh, yeah, we just did episode 58. So there's a lot of options out there for you. It's an hour and a half long. It's always fun. And uh, it's one of the uh, top uh, comedy podcasts on the Death Squad Network. So uh, And on iTunes in general, yeah. it's one of the yeah. top ones. So uh, And how do uh, people find you on Twitter? I'm at Tony Hinchcliffe. That's all one word. Tony, H plus inch, cliff plus E. Hinchcliffe. <laughs> you can spell it perfectly. And how do you go about buying... Uh, uh, the Golden Pony t-shirts. You can get but either one, the Golden Pony t-shirt or the uh, Chalkboard Equation t-shirt uh, all at TonyHinchcliffe.com. Um, they are flying off the shelves like hotcakes, literally, because hotcakes don't sell that well, and uh, neither do my t-shirts. Yeah, no, they're selling good. You know, <laughs> no, you, they're, you, they're, they're, they're good. So find Tony, Tony Hinchcliffe. On Twitter, uh, he's uh, going to be the next big thing in the world of stand-up. He's got this great uh, presence, and um, you know he's, he's really—you uh, should see him live. It's uh, thank you, Earl. It's it's just so nice. I, I don't praise. think I've ever hung out with you during the daytime before. 
Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get it going. You know, hanging out with a guy like you and then Benji and Matt Edgar and uh, some of the younger bucks has, you know, motivated me to maybe, uh, you know, uh, get a little more, uh, you know, serious about the business and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm like... Uh, you know, like when the spirit squad was roaming around, I, you know, you guys are my spirit squad and I'm like, you know, Scott Hall, you know, I'm like, you know, I need to get it together a little more. So, uh, you know, as you can tell, my podcast isn't quite up to snuff with yours and others with phones ringing in the background and uh, my dog Lois playing with her chew toys in the middle. Uh, but uh, you, I really appreciate you coming down. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, dude, you're the best. We're at an hour and 45 minutes. I don't I don't want to stop, but, you know, I know you got things to do. And, uh, you know, I want people to, uh, you know, say, I want Tony back. So, uh, right. you know, this has been Inappropriate Earl. Uh, we're on uh, SoundCloud. And uh, for you Steve Jobs uh, bone smokers, you can still go on iTunes and uh, look up Inappropriate Earl. Don't look up Earl Skakel because my uh, shitty comedy album pops up, which has probably sold less than the Golden Pony t-shirts. <laughs> uh, leave a review, bad or good. I leave them all up and, uh, you know, get on the Tony Hinchcliffe bandwagon, uh, Comedy Central Roast, uh, Roast Battles, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, Jeff Ross. Uh, you know, he's the real deal. Uh, my name's Earl. Uh, next week, hopefully, the singer from Rat, the great Stephen Piercy, uh, will be uh, in-house. We're going to break down his career. And uh, a shout-out to uh, Stevie Rochelle from the great band Tough for providing the music to Inappropriate Earl, uh, the great intro and outro song is forever yours which uh you know came out right after poison's uh, debut album so it felt felt like a brick after that happened so uh thank you stevie thank you guys for listening and uh we'll be on the internet super highway real soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>